What's up, babes? And as the puck drops, the words that DC fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. It's not a dream. It's not a desert mirage. It's Lord Stanley, and he is coming to Washington. Welcome back to Jaber's Rink Radio. I am your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to once again be joined by Kevin Klein. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing well, Adam. Thanks for having me back. How are you doing? Doing all right. You and I have both been really busy this week. We're, we're just pumping out content like it's 2015 over here. Yeah, yeah. JP's cracking the whip, so, you know, <laughs> but our readership needs content. They're thirsty. Yeah, um, so so we're, 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 like, putting out stuff at a rate even faster than uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs, and, uh, you know, now's a great opportunity for us to talk about some of the stuff we've been putting out. Um, so I guess where I want to start is actually on the on the first piece that, that you wrote, um, kind of in this little stretch of crazy productivity, which I think is your uh, enhanced uh, like look at how kind of the Capitals do compared to their expected goal metrics. So why, why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think if you go back several years and, and if you are the type of person who stays abreast of what's going on with the underlying numbers with this team, there's sort of always been a little bit of cause for concern regardless of where they were in the standings or, or, um, or anything like that. Um, and it just seemed like the team was, was never that 54% possession team that, that seemed absolutely lethal uh, every night, you know, since maybe 2009, I think that that Boudreaux team was was a team like that. And those are the teams that are, you know, uh, heralded as viable cup contenders year in and year out. Um, and so there was always some worry that the Caps were never a serious cup contender, more or less on the notion that they didn't spend enough time in the offensive zone compared to the defensive zone. And the fact that they saw success consistently was written off to luck. And then, you know, as time goes on, measurements like Corsi sort of advanced um, into the expected goals uh, kind of paradigm of thinking of things which um, incorporated more information from the NHL.com play-by-play uh, things like shot type, shot distance, shot angle, whether the shot occurred on a rush, whether it was a rebound. And so that did add a lot of important, uh, ostensibly shot quality information um, in, into the data set. And so those numbers were meant to be even more accurate. And, and they were statistically proven to predict you know, future success, future success a little bit more. Uh, but even with those expected metrics, um, it Washington never registered really well. And my suspicion was that, well, it, it's not that I'm doubting that this is a, a valuable metric, but I am doubting that it's capturing what's going on with the Capitals, um, specifically because the Capitals have so much top-end talent, uh, both 
in their shooting ranks uh, as well as in the net. Uh, and, and sure enough, when you go back and you look at the data, you see that that the Capitals consistently outperform what's expected of them by the model. Uh, and that's driven primarily by their shooters, but also by Hopi. And I think uh, in all five of the last five complete seasons, and so far again this season, uh, they're scoring more goals than the model expects them to. Uh, and then in three out of the five, and again this season, uh, they're allowing fewer goals than the model expects them to. So it, it was more a matter of holding a candle to this uh, to this very popular way of measuring a team uh, and saying this isn't the best way to to think about the Capitals' performance uh, because it has a history of, of undervaluing them. It just doesn't think they're as good a team as they actually are. Um, and a lot of that is because of it, it can't account for a guy like Ovechkin's shooting prowess or, or a guy like Kuznetsov's skill. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff that Isabel Kershudian uncovered last year uh, in her uh, feature on, on Stephen Valaket data and, and how that was being utilized by the caps. So uh, that was sort of what that was about. And, and my conclusion was that the caps are a good team. Uh, they're just, they don't really fit the mold of what that model captures very well. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense given kind of, as you said, the historicals, I mean, they, they did, I think in the first year of Barry Trotz do uh, well in, in uh, possession metrics. And I think the year after that as well, but it's it's really the last two years, especially, they've just not looked good um, in terms of these expected goal metrics. And I think it's kind of um, it's interesting to see them consistently outperform the model, and it makes you think that the model, um, as you said, isn't really capturing everything that at least what the Capitals do to make themselves great. Um, but it's also tough because you don't want the models to. Yeah, you, know, you don't want the, to adjust a model to make it, you know, fit the outlier. So, or, you know, maybe, exactly, exactly. Uh, but ignoring where it fits best and where it may not fit best isn't doesn't really do a service. So, so it, you know, I, I think we're it's a little inside baseball statistics, guys, <sighs> but it's a model that generalizes to the week, to the league well, but it, but the Capitals don't fit it very well. And neither does a team like the the Carolina Hurricanes, who are sort of the inverse of of the Caps, where every year the model thinks that they should be much better than they actually are. And after a time, it's it's highly improbable that this is that this is chance. There there's just there's something else that is that is not explained by the model that's going on. Yeah, their goaltending actually sucks. <laughs> uh, but uh, in other news. Um, so I guess the first piece that I wrote this week was about everyone's favorite goon, um, talking about Tom Wilson, of course, who's just been lighting the world on fire, um, since he came back from, uh, his incredibly long and, and well-earned suspension. Um, and, and I think that kind of what I was zeroing in on is how his point production, you know, if, if you isolate the playoffs last year and then how he started this year is is you know it, it's elite level or it's you know top tier level elite you know i don't i don't want to get into the semantics of debating what the word elite means but he's just been um you know the guy that the capitals probably thought he could be and and he's certainly kind of what barry trotz used to say he would be and that's kind of you know um like milan lucic you know and and this was 
like uh, Lucic was good when Trot said this. Let's be clear, right? Um, this is back when Lucic was incredibly productive, and you know Wilson's not going to continue to produce at this point rate. But if he kind of falls, you know, not too too far down, this will be the first season in his career where he's kind of outpaced where Lucic was at the same age. So um, my point, really, from my article, is just to kind of look at at Wilson and his career and, and how he's kind of living up to the expectations that we've had for him. Um, and I don't know what kind of thoughts you have about Tom Wilson. And just to throw another layer onto that Lucic comparison, which I agree with you, it's it's an apt comparison, even if it's taken time to manifest. But their numbers in juniors were like nearly identical. Um, and and then Lucic, as you you know talked about in your piece, kind of. Uh, got off to a faster start, but he he was probably in a better situation for that. As you mentioned in your piece, Wilson was was brought in under Adam Oates and playing what under eight minutes a night or something like that. Um, just not really in a position to succeed, but um, you know, it's playing a young guy with with Wilson's skill set at the time towards the bottom of the lineup. It, it's not necessarily a smoking gun. Um, but yeah, his stretch of play right now has is, you know, gone on long enough that it, it you don't really write it off anymore as oh he just got hot or, or whatever. This is sustained quality production, um, for for like thirty games of play now. You know that's that is more than a third of a regular season, uh, if you want to think of it that way. And I agree with you. I we don't need to get into is Tom Wilson elite at this point, uh, but I think it's perfectly fair to say that he is a a plus player, you know, on on top sixes. Uh, he's a he's a plus top six player, I guess is what I want to say. Um, and yeah, his his shooting percentage is going to come down, um, but you, you just kind of get the sense that all right. This is a guy who isn't focusing on, on some of the areas of the game that have gotten him in trouble in the past. And maybe some of that mental energy is has gone towards honing a little bit of the skill that, he, that he's always had but has never seemed to be as cultivated as we would like. Now it's showing up a little bit more. Um, I mean, w- we've seen him bury beautiful wrist shots in the, in the corner. We've seen him pass across the ice through defenders legs to, to a waiting stick for a goal. I mean, we've seen him do it all in the, what, like six games that he's been back. So I, you know, I've got nothing but positive things to say about Tom Wilson right now. Uh, and hopefully that continues and, and hopefully he doesn't get himself in trouble again so that we don't have to balance that, that dissonance of, uh, of loving, of loving his production, but disapproving of, you know, the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's, I guess he does have a lot of production. He has to make up for, um, given that he wasn't able to play in that many games, but he's, you know, he's just been incredible. Um, I think, I think even with his missed games, he's in a really good position to, uh, to have put up new best. Again, he's done it every single year in his career. Uh, go missed what fifteen games this year? Something like no. that. Yeah, something like that. And uh, and I think that he could. I, I I think that he is going to again um, put put up career best box cars. So uh, it's a guy who's done nothing but improve since he's come into the league. Yeah, he's been super consistent. Um, 
and he's you know still young and um although he's he's kind of defying the typical age curve right now um you know guys usually have kind of peaked up production at this point but um wilson's circumstances have changed and uh i I don't know he just looks like a better player so uh rob parker was right and i was wrong so (laughs) (laughs) um don't don't let him hear you say that oh that's all right i'm not too concerned that he'll hear it um let's let's move on to talk about Matt Niskanen, uh, a guy that, that you wrote about a piece that came out on Thursday. Um, and he has been kind of trending in the opposite direction of Tom Wilson. So why don't you tell people a bit about what you found? Yeah. I mean, people who've been watching the caps know that Matt Niskanen is a stalwart defender on the blue line. And, and you expect for him every night to be, uh, a guy that you can throw out against the the, the top opposing forwards and, and he'll be able to hold his own. Um, and that has been true, not just in his career with the Capitals, but but when he played with Pittsburgh and with Dallas, um, you know, he was a he was a plus skater, both in goals and and in possession for most of the time, um, even if he wasn't necessarily drawing the same minutes that he does now that he did under Barry Trotz and is now under Todd Reardon. Uh, and so far into this season, we have seen just a precipitous decline in his performance, um, as well as his partner, Dmitry Orlov's, you know, so you have to talk about them together on some level, uh, but, but specific to Niskanen for, for one reason, uh, start figuring out where the, the drop off in performance came, uh, you can try. Um, which was a game against the Devils where he took a slash on the hand, uh, missed a month after that game before returning. And it's more or less like right on the nose. All of his possession numbers start diving uh, at that point. Um, This year, the team is so much better off with him off the ice than on. Um, It's not even funny. Um, in fact, by that measurement, he's the worst player in the league who's gotten over 400 minutes. So I think if you look at the index of guys who get big minutes and, and guys who are hurting their team, you know, the impact is greatest with Niskanen across the league, or at least you could argue that uh, analytically. And, and that's obviously not who this guy is, which is more the reason why that performance fall off tracking back to the injury is a little bit worrisome. Um, and, and you just wonder if, if he never fully healed or what's going on. Again, you hate to speculate. Um, you, you hate to put out there the idea that, that the team didn't do their due diligence or the doctors didn't do their due diligence or whatever. Um, but there's got to be a reason for, for his performance falling off so, so badly. Um, and moving forward, you know, as long as he continues to perform at this level is far below uh the team's expectations of him and i'm sure his own expectations of himself um you know it's it's hurting the team pretty badly yeah and i i guess the one thing i want to say is you know sometimes guys get hurt and even if everything goes perfectly you know it it doesn't get back to where it was you know it doesn't get back to 100 percent. that's just you know the nature of the human body right so um I think it's gonna be. I also wonder. Uh, I also wonder. It's a hand injury. Yep. And we're talking about possession metrics for a a guy who's who's a defensive defenseman. You know, I think is the is the the crux of his game. He's, he's a two way though, right? 
I mean, he's, I, he's got some. He's not a. He's not a, a, a lead pipe in the offensive zone or anything. He's not Orpic. <laughs> strength is in the neutral zone and in the defensive zone, uh, and you know, I don't. I don't really have a strong conception of why a hand injury would would impact a guy like that so severely. I mean, obviously, you know, I have a foot injury right now, right? And I, I would never have been able to fathom how much a, a small injury to something like your foot could impact your life. And I could see the same thing applying to the hand of a hockey player, a guy who's holding the stick and, and using his wrists for everything. Um, it's, it's just the performance fall off is so stark it, it's almost hard to believe that it could be attributed to any one single thing. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with you. I think there is, I mean, there's that whole stuff, right? And you know, kind of kinesiology. It's the, uh, you know, that the hands are, are the end of that chain, right? So anything that happens there, you might start compensating for, uh, you know, in your elbow, your shoulder, all that sort of stuff. So, um, but but it's interesting because you know. I don't know if it was on purpose, but you're kind of segueing in nicely to another guy whose performance dropped off rather starkly following an injury. Um, of Mr. course, Burakovsky. Yes, Andre Burakovsky. Uh, the, the guy, you know, why why can't I just never talk about him again? But we're, we're still we're still talking about him. We're um, in a relationship with him. Unique relationship is that how you describe it? Because that might be. That's that's not how I describe oh. it. But with that uh, it's uh yeah very love-hate uh, relationship with uh andre burakovsky um he was at the time of the injury um uh, since he had entered the league he ranked 41st in terms of points per 60 minutes of play so i mean that that that's incredible right i mean that's top tier i mean that that's a great player uh since then <laughs> it's not <laughs> Not worth talking about. I don't even know what, what where he'd rank, but it, it's not it's not good. Um, and you know, it, the injury might not be what changed his career. Like it's important to kind of remember that. Uh, it, it just is that was a logical time period to look at. Um, and I kind of found that I think there's something the Capitals could do to maybe put him in a better position to succeed um, right now with the player that he is today. And that would be just to get him back playing more on the right side of the offense rather than the left. Um, he's had, you know, about 35% higher production in his career when he's, or in the last three seasons rather, when he's playing on that right side. Um, and he's actually spent a lot of time on the right side with Eller and Connolly and on the left side with Eller and Connolly. So um, I, I think that's kind of an interesting dynamic to look at. Um, Rob Parker again. If Rob if Rob is listening, he does bring a lot to the table. Um, kind of challenged it today and said, "Well, why would you move Brett Connolly over um, with how successful he's been?" And you know, I'm of the opinion that, well, first off, you know, it, it even if Connolly's being successful, you might be able to get kind of more out of the line as a whole by moving him over and putting Burkowski on the right side. But uh, secondly, I mean. The, that group in like, historically, I think, was more productive when Burakovsky was on the right, um, and that's based on not exact numbers because I don't have you know where everyone was at those times. But um, the most productive period for that trio was when Burakovsky was playing the majority of his minutes on the right side. So um, 
I think it's going to be interesting. The Capitals still are having Burkowski was on the left side today in line rushes. So we'll see uh, where he is this weekend and if the Capitals do move him, whether that makes him a bit more productive. Granted, a 10 minutes a, a game, uh, a 35% uptick, you know, is only going to be an extra point every you know four games or so, right? So it's it's not going to shake the world. Yeah, it's a shame that the team didn't read your post and uh, immediately flop the lines there. Yeah, why didn't they? What are they doing? Well, to your point, I think that when it comes to the the, the idea of, well, why would you bump Connolly in favor of Burakovsky? It, it really just depends on how you view those two guys as uh, as the organization. For me, I view Burakovsky as having a lot more upside you know, than, than Connolly does. And so if if tweaking it knocks knocks Connolly's game down a bit but bumps Burakovsky's up a lot, I think there's a lot of value in just trying to get a guy like Burakovsky going. Um, at this point, it kind of feels like you know what you're you're going to get from Brett Connolly. Um, and, I mean, frankly, it feels like we know what we're going to get from Burakovsky at this point too. But but he's still young enough and skilled enough that you just – and we've seen enough flashes of his, of his ability uh, that you just hope that – the light's going to go on at some point and and that's why you do it and and also because it's it's november um it's november the caps have have played themselves into a, a decent position in the standings and uh i feel like they can afford to 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 i guess if you we want insofar as we want to consider something like that a risk you know they can they can go ahead and do that and now's the time um so i'm all for it um even as somebody who who's less optimistic about Burakovsky, my personal stance on him is that if they can get a good price for him from an optimistic team to go ahead and deal him, um, because his contributions are, you know, probably below replacement level. I haven't looked at the actual numbers to that end, but uh, that's not, what I would. They're, they're not that bad. I mean, they're not below. You know, I, I guess if you're only looking at this season, like a third, maybe like, third li- like a third line wing replacement level. Oh, like a third line win. Okay, yeah, but the Capitals don't have anybody at that level, so you'd have to get. Right. Uh, we could talk about what what you expect. You'd have to get from him for it to be worth it, right? So, um, I don't know. I I, I think if you're going to trade Burakovsky, you've got to try to get you know a bit more. You get you got you you don't want to trade him now, right? You want to trade him after he's been you know done something. Um, well, so that, depends. That, that would be more reason to put him on the right side now. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know what perception of him across the league is. So Yeah, that's true. Who who knows? And the, the big thing with him is trajectory, right? Uh, but behind the scenes at japersrink.com, we, we were discussing Burakovsky's first 275 games versus Marcus Johansson's first 275 games. And, and their numbers are really quite similar. Uh, both uh, Burakovsky had 126 points in those games. Johansson had 147. Now, granted, Johansson played on the those Adamos Capitals, who are just miserable at five on five. Burakovsky played on some, I think, better overall offensive units. Uh, Burakovsky had 46 goals at even strength. Johansson only had 32. Burakovsky had 10 game-winning goals. The the numbers aren't that far apart. Whereas I think. Burakovsky is a bit more maligned. Not that Marcus Johansson escaped being maligned entirely, um, but I think the value that he added on the power play sort of helped out his perception. But the the thing is, Johansson improved. 
or or at the very least didn't degrade. And and we have seen Burakovsky get off to a hot start in his NHL career relatively and hasn't really improved in what three years now, at least yeah. statistically. Yeah, um you're not going to get any disagreement with me about Burakovsky's struggle to to grow as a player. Um, I, I just think there's things that are can be done to to maybe get a bit more out of him, uh, either if you're looking to trade him or if you're looking to kind of get him to be the guy that uh, he almost looked like he was on track uh, to become a few years ago. I mean, he he was still improving uh, in terms of you know his production rate every year um, for a while. And the well, excuse me, sorry for the first couple seasons, and then it's just kind of recently all go down the drain. I, I, I don't want to talk anymore about Burkowski, Kevin. It well, just it just drains me. On, let's just—I want to ask you something. You have, I'm going to put you on the spot so you can be honest with our listeners. Okay. Do you have a Burkowski jersey? Uh, yes, yes, I've got a the winner from the Winter Classic. He did not play in. <laughs> so well, early in his career. The thing you have in common with Mia Khalifa, Adam Stringham. Oh, good. Thank. Is that where you were going with this? Is that what the? <laughs> no, no, I was just tapping into all the useless information in my head. I can't control what flips to the top. Oh, good on you, Kevin. Um, all right, Kevin. What else do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, the team is on a on a six game winning streak right now, and and uh, I want to say seven and one in their last eight. Now, uh, they're doing it. Largely without Evgeny Kuznetsov, largely without TJ Oshie. Looks like we might get uh, Kuznetsov back tomorrow or, or tonight when when you, the dear listener, is, is probably tuning in here. Um, and and it got me wondering, like, what is going on with this team? Uh, what has changed? I mean, from a personnel standpoint, obviously you get Tom Wilson back. Uh, but is there anything that's going on in the numbers that, that's really, really alarming? Or, or really, really would explain this. Um, I would say the answer to that question is is no. There's nothing that really, really jumps out. I'd say they're making modest improvements uh, in their possession numbers. Uh, they're making modest improvements in their scoring chance numbers. But what's really improved over this stretch is their high danger scoring chance numbers at five on five. Um, and obviously the PK has, has improved a ton, which has been a big factor. But but speaking about five-on-five five play here. And, uh, you know, they're they're above 50% for the first time this year on a 10-game rolling basis when it comes to high-danger scoring chances. Um, and, uh, and really they're just burying those chances. Um, I want to say in the, in the last six games and, and during this streak, they're shooting – Five on five at like a thirteen percent click, which uh, for perspective was what they shot at five on five in the opening game versus Boston when they dropped seven on those guys, um, and that's really where it's coming from. They're doing this with with goaltending that's right at what we've seen on average this season with ninety two point six percent save percentage at fives uh, is what they have from the, from the the battery of Copley and Holpe. Uh, over the last six games, but that's also what they've done aggregating over 24 games. Um, and so w- what I see is something that's not sustainable on the grounds of the shooting percentage, uh, but promising trends in the underlying numbers, uh, especially tying it back to what we talked about before, right? Where it's like, I'm not going to get too worried about the raw possession at this point 
if we're seeing if we're seeing improvement in in scoring chances and high danger stuff, um, that to me is indicative of a team that's finding its groove a little bit. That's indicative of of a team that's winning the way that they won last year, you know, and, and that's a blueprint that I have absolutely no problem replicating. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to the game tonight. Um, I love that they've climbed into first place. I love that, that uh, they've given the team no reason to feel like they need to rush Kuznetsov back, no reason to rush Oshi back. Um, you know, meanwhile, the Pittsburgh Penguins are flailing. Yeah, how can you not love that? Well, we say they're flailing, but they did, you know, Crosby is now back in the lineup and uh, got a hat trick last night, if I recall correctly. A hat trick and a 6-3 loss. Yeah, well, he, we'll see how they end up doing. I'm, I'm not willing to count Pittsburgh out yet. Pittsburgh is, is bad for for one second. But if you can't enjoy them being three spots out of the, playoff, uh, out of the playoffs with December about to... Uh, uh, with December upon us, what can you enjoy? Uh, the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup. Correct. <laughs> All right. Um, you, you did mention kind of the penalty kill, and I do want to touch on that real quick. Um, so really everybody wrote about the penalty kill, uh, us included. Um, and what's interesting is that the penalty kill has been way better, right, since Tom Wilson returned, but it has absolutely nothing to do with Tom Wilson. Um, it, it, well... That's not necessarily true. Tom Wilson is not what's driving the improved penalty kill. Uh, you know, he's been as good as whoever he's replacing. So TJ Oshie. Um, and it, it, what's really been improving for the penalty kill is just the save percentages. We're really trying seeing them getting the bounces they weren't getting earlier in the year. Um, you know, if you want to kind of get what the team thought about it, you should go check out Isabel Kershudian's post. Um, that she had on the Washington Post relative to the penalty kill. She had some great quotes in there. Um, but if you want to kind of look more into the numbers, you check out our post on Japers Rink. Um, basically, the goaltending now is 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 kind of making up for lost time to start the year. They're they're looking really good. Um, but either way, the Capitals have been kind of they've been given they should be given up uh, between six and seven goals um, every sixty minutes. They're shorthanded, which is you know top fifteen in the league uh, very comfortably. So. Um, way better than what the numbers are, or what their you know efficiency was showing to start the year. Um, so look for the Capitals' PK to not stay this hot, but to definitely look better than it did um, just a couple weeks ago um, as we move forward. Yep, and and Ocean and Kuznetsov are both PKers, so um, the team hasn't had its full its full arsenal of PKers and and Brooks Orpik for that matter, but. Uh, his return is further down the line. And it might not help the PK. But um so, said. Do you do you think that Kuznetsov is still gonna kill penalties with Wilson back? Um th- that's a good question. Um I would be fine if he didn't, personally. Um in fact I think I would prefer it if he didn't. He's exciting I, on the PK though. I like he, watching it. Yeah, he is exciting, especially in those, those first couple weeks. I, I feel like he has several shorthanded chances. Yeah, I think we'll still see him out there um, in a lesser role, but I don't. I don't. That's just you know. That's just a hunch. Um, I think that if the the team was that worried about him getting injured on the PK or whatever, it wasn't 
Tom Wilson being there or not being there that was going to to force their hand to put him there. Um, and and so I, I think that he'll still get time. Hopefully it's a re- reduced minutes in that role. Um, but pure, pure off-the-cuff speculation on my part. What do you think? Um, I, I think we will not see him very much. Um, I, I just think they're going to want to get him out there more 5-on-5, five five, let him be a bit more rested. Um, you know, I, I think... I think he's a great guy to flex there when Tom Wilson's inevitably in the penalty box. So there'll be, there'll be plenty of chances to get Kuzi out there. Yeah. yeah. He's not exactly renowned for his stalwart defense. No, um, no, he's not. But yeah, he'll do it in a pinch. Awesome. Um, Kevin, we had a ton of stuff come out this week and I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it as well. So uh, thanks for the time. Readers, go, go read all of it. It's yes. You've got a game tonight. The weekend looms. Uh, it's holiday season. It's slow at work. You're not doing anything. Go read. Go read our work. <laughs> All right, that, that, that's the best plug you can get. So, that's uh, nice yeah. Uh, on behalf of myself and Kevin Klein, thanks for listening to this episode of Jabers Radio.